0: Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter three. Yes, sir. No, did I say Ephesians? Thank you. Thank you for correcting me on that. We've done Ephesians. I guess we can go back and go back to Ephesians. But let's uh, let's open up our Bibles to Philippians. I was just checking to see if you guys were awake. That's all. Yeah, that's good. All right. Let's uh, let's open up in order of prayer. We'll pray for uh, James and Winter that aren't with us today. And yeah. uh, Chloe, and also Elisa, that's not feeling well. Just seemed like all kinds of stuff happened this last week. I just want you to know, uh, I just got over the COVID here a couple few weeks ago, my family and I. Yeah, had yeah, second time, you know. So, oh, what can I say? It was it was a bad flu. Uh, and there's a lot of it with the Richard and Eileen they're missing as well because of the COVID and their sickness. Actually, they had something else going on in their life, but. Uh, yeah. But uh, just keep safe out there, as always, you know, wash your hands, please, wash your hands and keep yourself safe, and we lift up to you, uh, also, Manny and uh, his family, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Lucille just passed away, do you guys remember Lucille? Yeah, 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 Carrillo, yeah, she was, She was. Uh, she, yeah, something happened with a surgery that she had, that they had postponed for, for months, for months, and uh and um, internal, just a lot of things happened then. but she, they just passed away so we'll be probably doing a uh, a funeral for them and, and also remember James Carty uh, he's our landscaper from a while back his parents were uh, burned in a fire here a few weeks ago here in San Bernardino they went in to rescue their dogs and they never came back out both of them yeah they both went in so yeah there's just a lot of stuff that's been happening these last few weeks and and you know, it seems to be hitting our church a little bit harder than others, especially with the small congregation that we have, you know, so it's very noticeable when you, when you think about that. But we, we want to lift them all up in prayer. And, um, and uh, thank you guys for being here today. And I know that God's, gonna, uh, God's word is going to richly uh, bless you and enrich your life today uh, because of what we're talking about, you know, the, the things that are going on in this world and what it is that we are supposed to be doing. So let's, is there any other prayer requests? Anybody else like to lift up a prayer request? At this time? Yes, Martha? Yeah, yeah. How long has it been now? Yeah. Six, seven months, they lost their uh, 18-year-old daughter. Yeah. Oh, 20. Wow. I did. Yeah. Okay. Keep them in prayer. Sylvia, did you raise your hand as well? Ernie? All right. Well, let's do that. Father, it's with with a very heavy heart that we come before you today and uh, realizing just the devastating news that we hear of, of just within our own circle of influence, the people that have been affected so much by the so many things that go on in life. Yet you've called us to press on, to keep on pressing on toward the goal, which is in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we press on through all the adversities that may come our way. We press on because you've saved us and you've sanctified us. And Lord, we know that one day we will be glorified. We press on because that's the goal and the call that you've called us to do. We press on because we know that we have a better place, that this world is not our home. So I, I personally want to lift up the prayer requests that we have right now for Manny and his family, for the loss of their their wife, the, his wife, their mom, grandmother. Such a big influence in that community, Lord. I just lift her up to you. I also pray for uh, James and, uh, and his family as well, and the loss of their mom and dad, James Sr., and... Uh, and Lord, just the tragic accident took place in their life. And I pray that we can minister to them in a very effective way as well. Let Leonard and Brandy and the loss of their child. And it, it, you never you never get over it. It's something that they have to go through and eventually come to grips with. And, and I pray, Father, that your sustaining hand just continues to, to bless them and lead them. And thank you for Martha that is willing to minister to them. For little Ernie as well, Lord. I, I lift him up to you. And, and Lord, just the many, many years that he's been struggling with what's happened to him. And I pray, God, that you just lift him up and encourage him from the inside out let him know that he's still uh that you are still his god he's still your child and and so father we come before you with all the others that have been that are missing today james and winter and and uh, eileen and richard and elisa and uh and father and just just those that um that just don't come to mind right now and, and lord just the many things that are going on in their life and and we know father that as a small body of believers that when one hurts the other one hurts as well but when one rejoices we also rejoice with you so, so, Lord, with that humble uh, attitude and that the willingness to learn from you, we want to come to you with this brokenness and this ability to, to just to surrender it all to you because we know, God, that you are totally in control. You are a sovereign God, and there's nothing that happens in this world without you knowing. There's nothing that takes place, nothing that surprises you. Even our attendance here today, you knew that this was going to take place, yet you called us here, you've led us here, you've, you, are, you have drawn us here to dive into your word and, and just the, the treasures of this portion of Scripture that are so, so needed in our culture, in our life, in our family today. I pray that we can glean just the instruction that we need from your word, and your word, solely your word. So, Father, thank you once again for this opportunity that you give us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. Amen and Amen. We are in Philippians, thank you Ken, chapter (laughs) 3. I'm glad I didn't start off Ephesians chapter 3. We are going through what uh, this portion of Scripture is called the righteousness through faith in Christ. And if you remember, we've been going over uh, Philippians chapter 1 and 2 and and now to chapter 3 with just a little bit of a a slow pace. Today we're taking on verses 12 through 16. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, what Paul has been calling us to do, he says from chapter two, uh, when he, he said to us that we ought to be encouraged, number one, and we ought to encourage one another uh, with any comfort and love and any participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy. Complete his joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. He says we ought to all get together, we ought to be of the same mind, of the same theology, of the same thought, of the same structure, and, and, and work together in this same mind. Paul says that it's not just the culture, it's not the government. It's not anything else that we want to be like-minded with. And the culture will tell you to be and act a certain way. The, the government will tell you to be a certain way. There are, there are different denominations that will tell you to be and act a certain way. But Paul says, you know, put all that, those things aside. I want you to have the mind of Christ he says I want you to be like Christ and this is a high order this is a tall order but Paul is calling us to be like Christ how he emptied himself he was in heaven receiving all the praise and the glory and the honor from all the celestial beings he was receiving all the praise and glory and honor from all those that have been redeemed those that as Jesus told the thief on the cross today you will be with me in paradise and those that have gone on before us every one of them are, are, are there praising and loving Jesus Christ. And Jesus emptied himself from that glory. He stepped down from heaven to come to earth as a child, as a man. And and as you see the progression that Paul is talking to us about in Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ reduces himself and he goes down one step to become man, and then he takes on the form of a man. Then he takes on the form of a bondservant. If you remember, at the Last Supper, Jesus Christ took a bowl, and he washed his disciples' feet, and they were just appalled that their teacher will be willing to humble himself in such manner. And he says, do as I have just done to you. I want you to be a servant. Be like-minded. In John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do like I do the mind of Christ and you see but he didn't just lower himself to to be a man to to be a servant but he lowered himself Paul says to the point of death and and not only but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant I'm in verse 7 of chapter 2 being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and it wasn't just any death and we talked about this at length that the death of Christ was not just any type of death Now, in that time, as you remember, there were thousands of crucifixions happening throughout Palestine at that time. Thousands of them. And we only know of one because we read the Bible. But historians tell us that crucifixion started somewhere about 300 B.C. It was a way to humiliate the enemy, to embarrass them, to make them to suffer. And they would impale them on a stick or on a tree and hang them. And this is interesting because uh, 750 years prior to that, Isaiah prophesied that this is how Christ was to die. You see, the form of crucifixion didn't actually take place until about 300 B.C., but 700 B.C., here it is, Isaiah talking about how it's going to happen. And as the Parthians and the Persians, they started to toy with it, it was the Romans that perfected the crucifixion. And they perfected it in such a way that it would cause the person to to be lacerated and whipped and beat to the point of death, but not dying just long enough so they can hang him up on a cross or on a tree or on a stake and let him be humiliated, naked, spit upon, dehydration, Blood, blood loss, all these things, and they knew how to keep them going. This is why they, gave, they wanted to give the enemies or those that are being persecuted this gall, this, this sedative, in a sense, to keep them alive and keep them awake, just long enough to make them suffer as long as they could. Sometimes these people that were crucified, they were crucified uh, in, in one day, and two or three days later, sometimes even a week, they would last on these crosses. And this is how Jesus Christ was murdered. He took on the, 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 the form of a servant, obedient to death, and death on the cross, as Paul says. And we don't know much about the cross or the crucifixion from Scripture, but as I just mentioned to you, some of the historical facts on how things would take place. As a matter of fact, right around when Jesus was a teenager, over 3,000 Jews were crucified in one day because they all came up against Rome. So crucifixion was common. But for the Jew, that wasn't the type of execution a Jew should receive. If you know anything about Scripture, it was always by stoning. They always stoned those that went up against God's law. A blasphemer, one that w- disobeyed their parents, or those that, that brought in evil into the, into the camp. They were always stoned to death. The crucifixion wasn't something that the Jews thought about. The crucifixion wasn't something that the even the Romans thought about. As I mentioned earlier, Isaiah... Told us that God said that's how he's going to die. And, and, and so when you think about the humiliation, the lowering down, the emptying himself of, and Paul says, I want you to be just like that. Have the mind of Christ. That's a tall order. But that's what we should strive for. That's what we need to be going to. That's what we ought to be uh, lining ourselves up with. Our, our standard should not be the person right next to us, our standard should not even be our pastor. Our standard should be Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul says here a little bit later, he goes on to say, as far as... uh, uh, therefore, beloved, in verse 12, you, as you've always obeyed, now much more in my, uh, my absence is in my presence. And then in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We, we talked about that. We shared a little bit about that. But in verse 19, Paul gives us this little picture of just some couple of guys. And and we didn't really have much instruction from the reading. But, you know, as we gleaned from it, we started to see these men. These are some of the men that we can probably emulate. Well, Paul, number one, gave up everything. He gave up everything. Everything that he had, he gave it all up, as we'll we'll see here in just a bit. But he gave it all up just for the cause of Christ. And Timothy was a very meek servant, but he was a pastor. And uh, Epaphroditus... He was a a lover of, of the people. People loved him. And these are two men that as we find out a little bit about them, as we saw here just a few weeks ago, these two men were examples of the type of people that had humbled themselves and that others looked up to. And so, if you, if you remember, if you'd like to go back and get that message, these two men, including Paul, were probably something of a, an example that we could follow. Jesus Christ is a tall order. Okay, I've got to be Christ-like. I've got to humble myself to the point of death. Paul did basically the same thing. You know, that's a super apostle. He wrote a bunch of a bunch of epistles and letters to the church, churches, 13 of them to be exact. And, and he wrote all these different types of instructions and gave to the churches as he planted these churches. That's a tall order. You know, but Epaphroditus, I, I can probably do that. Timothy, you know, I, I can, that's somebody that I can look up to. The point was is we got to find a godly person to follow. Paul says, follow my example yeah. as I follow the example of Christ. And, and the purpose of this and the process of this and, and sometimes even the problem of this is that we live in this crooked and perverse generation. That we're being attacked from all sides. And we fold and we fall and we follow various types of understandings and teachings and, well, the, the system that is out there. <coughs> so Paul says this. He says in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is of no trouble. He says, look out for those dogs. Look out for those people that are twisting the gospel, that are trying to get their own gain. Look out for what it is that they're doing and how it is that they're manipulating and bringing people in. Jesus Christ, Paul, uh, John the Baptist, they all had these harsh words for those that were trying to pervert the gospel, trying to get people to come to be a part of their group instead of what Paul and Jesus Christ had promoted. I talked a little bit about Galatians last week Uh, Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 where Paul says you you know you can't be following another gospel anybody preaching a different gospel needs to be cursed beyond cursing do not allow a different gospel to come in it is by is by faith alone through grace alone uh, in, in Christ alone by grace that you're saved through faith and this is by Jesus Christ himself, for the glory of God, not for the church, not for the pastor, but for the glory of God. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And that's, that's the process that we've been preaching and teaching according to scripture. It's not by what I do. It's not by what you do. It's by what's already been got, done. God himself causes you to be born again. Born again. Paul goes on to say he says you know I know some of these guys that are trying to teach you these things they have all these credentials all these ideas and all these papers behind them and they have this this influence that that supposedly they picked up you know if there's anybody out there that has any type of credentialing I want you to know and he goes on to tell us in verse four I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. His parents were strict Jews. Paul grew up a strict Jew. And he was on the eighth day. And you would get circumcised on the eighth day, whether it fell on the Sabbath or not. It was not considered work. That's how strict and how obedient they were to this circumcision. Paul says, you know, if, I, if anybody's going to boast, I've been, I've been a Jew from the, first, from the very first part. The eighth day I was circumcised of the people of Israel. He says, you know, these, this is God's people of the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe, uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. You know, there were, there were no more than 6,000 Pharisees in, in Jerusalem at any time. And these Pharisees, they knew the law backwards and forwards, and they understood it. And they, well, at least they thought they understood it. But the points about Messiah... The points about all the prophecies that pointed to Messiah, they, they would follow them and they would see that he was, Messiah was going to conquer this, this nation and establish a kingdom and a, a kingdom that would never end. And they were looking to David. They were looking to a David type, a Davidic type of kingdom, a kingdom that was going to uh, rule the whole world. But they missed Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant. They missed that part where he was supposed to suffer, first of all, on how God was supposed to crush him, on how he was going to be nailed to the cross. They missed Psalms chapter 23 on how his hands and his feet were pierced a thousand years before Christ was even born. Here, the psalmist is talking about how he was going to be, how they circled him like dogs, how they wagged in Psalms chapter 23, how they wagged their fingers at him. Chapter 22, I'm sorry, uh, Psalms 22, how they wagged their fingers at him and how they they cursed him. And they even said, well, he saved himself. Let him let him save. He saved others. Let him save himself. And all of these prophecies had to take place. This is why when Jesus uh, appeared to those two men on the way home to Emmaus right after the crucifixion and right after the resurrection, they come he comes up to these men and, and Jesus asks them, so what are you guys talking about? They didn't recognize him. He was glorified. His body was perfect. They didn't recognize him. He, he had no, those wounds that he was just, they didn't recognize him. The Bible says that they were kept from recognizing him. And they said, you know what, we've been talking about Jesus and what happened to him. I says, well, what happened? And they said, what, are you the only person that don't even know what's going on here? And, and, and so they started to tell them, you know, our rulers, we thought he was the one. He was the one that was supposed to come forward and, and rescue Israel out of this Roman empire that has been so oppressive to us. And then without knowing it was Jesus, Jesus says, oh, ye of, of little understanding. Don't you realize that the Messiah needed to suffer? The Christ needed to suffer these things. And going all the way back to Moses, Luke tells us, all the way back to Moses and the prophets, he began to explain to them. And I'm sure that Isaiah 53 was a big part of what he explained to them. And they did not get it until Jesus Christ opened up their minds and the word was filled within their hearts and it dwelt within them richly. The word is what helped them to see. They did a Bible study on the, on the way home to Emmaus. <coughs> Luke tells us that as they got to their homes, Jesus pretended to be going on a little bit further. He says, no, no, no. Stay with us. We're going to have dinner here. Eat with us. And he says, all right. And so Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And at, immediately their eyes were open and they saw and, and he disappeared. And they go, whoa, this that that was Jesus. That, that we, we saw him. He was with didn't our hearts burn with the word that he gave us. Beloved, if you want to get an example, if you want to get a lesson, if you want to get a, a just a, a, an inclination of what God is trying to tell us there, he says this. You see, these two men, depressed, downcast, looking down, you know, oh, woe is us. You know, but all these things happened to Jesus and it's just like everything's lost now. It's like I can't. Can you imagine losing your best friend in such a manner and how hard and, and how heavy your heart would be? Wouldn't you at that point in time want to have an experience with Jesus Christ? These men needed that experience. They needed something or someone to come and fill them up. But Jesus did not present himself until he explained to them what the word said. It wasn't until the word was presented to, to these men that they realized, wow, okay. And it wasn't until they understood that they had that experience with Jesus Christ. Many people are looking for an experience with Jesus Christ and the experience is right here. The revelation is right here. People are praying, God, give me a word. And God is going like this. It's there it is. (laughs) There's your word. And, And the experience that they they needed and the comfort and the joy that they needed didn't come to them until the word was expounded. And the word needs to dwell in you richly as as. Paul is going on and talking to us about the things that he has put aside, the things that he has set aside. He says he says to us indeed in verse 9 I'm sorry verse 8. He says indeed, I count everything as loss, but of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord for his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. We read that word if you read that word in the old uh, King James' Version, that word would be dung, excrement, that all that stuff, all my titles, all my prestige, all my power, all my influence, all my education, nothing compared to knowing Christ. And he says this in verse nine and be found in him, having not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. And last week we talked about this, that many of us want to build up our own righteousness. We want to be righteous before God according to what I can do, how I can live, how I can continue on in life. And it's not my righteousness that gets me saved. It's not what I do that gets me saved. It's God's righteousness. You see, what God did is he took my sin. He took my sin that should be damned and, and crushed under the wrath of God. And he took me, my sin, and he imputed my sin onto Jesus Christ. He placed it upon Jesus and Jesus imputed his righteousness upon me. For by the grace of God, I am saved. Not because of anything I do or anything I say. It is a righteousness not of my own, but of God. I have been made right because God decreed it, not because I said, not because I I raised my hand one day. It's okay, Lord, okay, I'm ready to be righteous now. God Himself took it upon Himself to reach down and rescue a sinner just like me and just like you. It's all by the doing of God, and Paul is trying to get this across. You know, a little bit earlier, Paul says, you know, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation, but work it out. Follow the example of Christ. Have a like-mindedness of Christ. Follow the example of Paul. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of Timothy. Follow the example of Epaphroditus. Follow the example of a person that you see that is desiring God on a regular basis. Their whole desire, their whole goal, their whole life is focused on looking to God. And this is what brings us to our portion of Scripture right now. You see, because Paul doesn't just leave us there. And say, okay, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. Here's how how you should do it how to press on, how to keep going, how to keep straining forward, and and how to live as the Apostle Paul did, as Timothy did, as Epaphroditus did, as Peter and all these other apostles that went before us, and all the generations of leaders and, and of pastors and of preachers and of teachers and of just down to earth Christians. The number one goal, the number one thing that every one of them do is they press on toward the goal of Jesus Christ. They don't go toward the world. They don't go toward the culture. They don't go toward the church. They go toward Jesus Christ. And they find like-minded people that are just like them. Let's look at this. In Ephesians chapter, Philippians chapter 3. I don't know why I'm stuck in Ephesians. Just know that if I say Ephesians, we are in Philippians. Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says this himself. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Father in heaven, as we take this portion of scripture, I pray that you just open our eyes to it. Revelation is already being given. We don't need a new revelation. The revelation is right here in our hands. Just bring it to light. Illuminate it. Bring it to light so that we can see your wonderful truths and the principles on which to live by. Thank you, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Not that I have already obtained this or already or am already perfect. Paul says, OK, you know, I'm, I'm sharing with you on what to do. I, I've, I've done just about everything I could humanly possible by getting rid of everything. It's all rubbish. All the titles, all the prestige, you know, I, but you know, I got a long way to go. Paul says, I, "I have a I still have a very long way to go." Paul had, as I call it in, in your, your outline, number one. Paul had a holy discontent, and so what I must do in order to press on in this world, to press on in this life, I have to number one have a holy discontent. What do I mean by that? This this uneasiness that you have. This this you know I, there's got to be more that you have. This you know I I I just can't believe that what this world is giving me right now is is all there is. That the government is what they're telling me to do and, and the people around me and even the church to some extent. There's got to be more. There's got to be more to God, more to, more to understanding. And Paul had this holy discontent because he knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew how to understand and to evaluate himself. We've been doing that through the book of Ephesians. Excuse me, Philippians. We've been doing that through this book. And, it's, and we've titled the, the whole series of Ephesians, Finding Joy in the Darkness. And sometimes we find ourselves in some very dark places. And let me remind you that Paul right now is in prison. And he's, and this gospel, this, this epistle that he wrote, this epistle is, many people call it the, the, the epistle of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice is found in Philippians. And Paul just seems to be having a great time in prison. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be executed pretty soon. And, and he had an idea, an inclination, Paul is going back to his uh, earlier days and his church planning days and his encouraging days and his lifting up of pastor days. And he's getting all this information together. He says, you know, in spite of where I am, I want you to rejoice. I'm rejoicing. I want you to rejoice and I want you to grow and I want you to develop. You see, there's two errors that we fall into. Number one, we fall into like, "Okay, once saved, always saved. Okay, good. I'm done and we just sit there and let go and let God. Okay, whatever's going to be it's up to God. You know, whatever however God wants to pull it out of my life then it's, I'm just going to sit here and let go and let God. And the other error that we fall into is that okay, if it's up if it's going to be it's up to me. We tend to work for our salvation. We want to get so busy in doing everything that we can to make sure that we please God. And somewhere in the middle there there is this there's this understanding that yes, God is sovereign, he's chosen you, you have been uh, predestined, you are alive in him, you have been changed, you're a new new, uh, beginning, a new believer, the old is gone, the new has come. And Paul knew all of this, yet he comes to a point in his life where he says, you know, not that I've already obtained this, been made perfect. We have to understand what the word perfect is. Theleos is, is the Greek word. Perfect doesn't mean like perfection. God is the only one that is perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect the word here is more is more like has matured or has grown to an understanding as as a child would think and now as an adult would think you would think <laughs> that most adults would have reached that adulthood we understand now a little bit more and the older that we get the the more we understand the more that we understand it's the wisdom that we've learned from life from the Word, from God Himself. And so what Paul is saying is not to be this perfected being. I'm not yet perfected and not, not that we can get there but we can mature. Peter tells us in first, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 he says, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing is a big part of Christendom. Growing is what we should do. There are a lot of people that I've met and say, they've said to me, You know, Pastor, I've been a Christian for 10 years and I see their life. And a lot of times I can just say, honestly, and I've said this to one person, it looks like you've been a one year old Christian 10 times. There's no growth, there's no depth, there's no understanding of the Word of God. It's, it's always right back to the same verse, to the same concept, to the same, and, and life is the same. You see, life is going to hit you in so many different ways as you've already experienced. And Paul says, I want you to press on. You know, you haven't yet obtained it. Paul himself says, This is a trustworthy saying, which I think I need to tell you, Timothy, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, which I am the worst one. Paul had this holy discontent. He had this evaluation of himself, knowing, You know, I, I've sinned, I sin, I continue to keep sinning. I sin because of my thoughts, I've sinned because of my actions, and because of my words. And I continue to do so. And I've I've got to get to the point where I I can stop that stuff and 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 just focus forward. This last week I I did a a, I was officiating a funeral and the verse (coughs) that I started off with, (coughs) excuse me, is in uh, First Thessalonians, chapter four, where Paul says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant of the people of those that have fallen asleep. He says, I don't want you to, to to mourn like those who have no hope. He says, I want you to have this hope that those who die in Christ first shall be resurrected, shall rise up and shall meet and be caught up in the air with Jesus Christ. And those of us who are left, we will be caught up with him. The word there is in Latin, raptura, or like, or rapido, or or quickly. We would quickly be caught up where we get the word rapture. And, And then Paul goes on to say, encourage one another with these words. Paul was a future thinking person. Think about the future. Think about your home. Think about your mansion. Think about the place where you are to be. That should be our focus at all times. That should be our focus. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? You see, you got to be careful with that question. The Bible says, well, the demons believe. Are, have you placed your faith in Christ to the point of you're saying, I, I, I have this holy discontent in my heart and I know that God wants me to accomplish more, yet I'm just sitting here, I'm letting go and letting God, but now I'm starting to realize there's something more that I have to do. Is there, is there a desire for you to want to know God more? Is there, this, is, there, is there this longing to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, in spite of all the things that may happen? Now, I'm not saying to go out and lose your life or take, take your own life to be at the heaven. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be morbid in the sense of, you know, just get rid of your life and forget about everything else. But the attitude should be that none of this stuff matters. Paul himself had the same struggle. He said, you know, if, if I were to go to be with the Lord, that would be great. But right now, the most important thing is for me to be here. So I struggle with that. Should I go to the Lord? Should I stay here? But you know, for, for your sake, for now, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to lift you up. <coughs> and so we have to look at this world as a holy. This, this place is not our home. It's not. And all these things that we just talked about and all those struggles that people are going through, you know, and, and, and they're real. OK, and, and they knock us down. And sometimes we're so focused on it, we got this myopic vision where we're just looking at this one thing. And, and we begin to worry instead of worship. And you've heard me say this many times before. See, because worry is focused thinking on the negative. But worship is focused thinking on God. And you can't have both at the same time. You can worry yourself to death, and basically that's what's going to happen. Or you can worship yourself to life. In spite of the storms, in spite of all the things that are going on, look at what Paul is doing. He says, rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. See, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, this is going back to your outlines, since we have these promises, what promises is he talking about? Eternal life, a home in heaven. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We are to cleanse ourselves on a regular basis. Cleanse ourselves in the morning. Get rid of this thought. Get rid of this idea. Get rid of this, this sin that keeps holding us down. And be ready and prepared. And then in Matthew, see, and this is part of what Jesus Christ talked about in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want an indicator in your life? We've been talking about this for the past several weeks. You want an indicator in your life? and Because and, the question that it comes up quite often is, you know, well, how do I know if I'm really saved? Well, first of all, that's, that's one of the greatest indicators, that you're even doubting that, that you're even thinking about that, that you're even wondering, you know, am I really saved? Because the, the unsaved person would say, you know, I, you know I, I, I get out of here. I don't even want to know that. But a believer, a genuine believer, asks that question. And then the second thing is, is this, is Jesus says that you have to hunger and thirst for this righteousness that only comes from God. Not that you're not righteous now. Not that you're not saved now. It's not like you get saved a little bit now, a little bit later. When when God does the work, He does it completely. When He created Adam, He created Adam completely. When He created the world, He created it completely. Everything God does, He does completely. He doesn't have this the stages that you go through. When he, God heals, He heals completely. Not a little bit here, a little bit there, but He does so completely. When you're saved, you're saved completely. You receive the whole Holy Spirit and you are sealed. You're a guarantee if you're genuinely saved, you are saved completely Man. now it's a matter of getting rid of all that stuff that i've been accumulating all my life yeah. all that anger all that jealousy you, you know the obvious things were easy and are easy for most people you know get rid of the alcohol the drinking you know the the carousing or whatever it is that you, you were doing get rid of all that stuff you, you know all that all that stuff was was for some Somewhat easy. And, you know, I say easy. I was an addict for a lot of years, and uh, people said you should have taken the 12-step program. I just took the one step. I took a Step forward, boom, all right, Jesus, I'm yours. What do I do next? I said, well, get rid of all that stuff. Done. You know, it was, it was that simple for me. You know, and it shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be a process. When God heals you, He heals you completely. And when he saves you, he saves you completely. Now, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because if you're like Paul, you're probably saying, I'm not there yet. Not that I've yet completed. Not that I have already obtained this. Or not that I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. I want Jesus Christ to be my own. I want to be like Christ. I want to continue on like Christ. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's made me his own, so therefore, I want to strive. He didn't do it halfway or partway or a quarter of the way. Jesus Christ did it all the way, and now my responsibility is to go all the way as well. Number two, I must be devoted to one thing. I must be devoted to one thing. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. One thing I do. Just just this one thing. See, a lot of people get caught up in all these little things. They dabble in this, they dabble in that, and it just distorts and and it it takes away from the one thing that you should be doing. The one thing that God has called us to do. The only thing that's going to matter. When you stand before God, he's only going to ask you one thing. (coughs) Excuse me. He's only going to ask you one thing. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? That's what he's going to ask you. Not what did you do with, you know, that Rotary Club that you were involved in, this, the PTA that you were involved in, with the politics that you were involved in. What, what, did, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? The next thing he's going to ask you is, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? He's going to hold us accountable. Some, some of you have 10 talents. Some of you have only five. Some of you have only one. And whatever it is that God gave you, he's going to hold you accountable to that. And, those, and so the one thing that we should focus on <laughs> in the process of life, we do work. Paul worked. He was a tent maker. He, does, he did provide for himself. He did, he did have a home. He, I, we don't know if he had a wife or not during this time because she's never mentioned. But we do know that he was uh, feeding himself, clothing himself. There were things that he had to do personally to take care of himself. And we too. But when that becomes the focus of life, And you focus on that, building up your life and everything else to to retirement. And that becomes your focus. And and, and you forget about Christ and everything else. Paul says this one thing I do. One thing, he says, and that's all I want to do. I, I know that Jesus Christ, he saved me, he delivered me. Paul gave us this brief testimony of who he was. As a matter of fact, he had this zeal for persecuting the church. And that same zeal and that same dedication and that same devotion and that same direction that he was going in, all of that, he turned it around, he poured it towards Jesus Christ. Because see, beloved, we can get so devoted and directed and all the other things going toward the things of this world. They, They could be good things. I'm not saying that they're evil things. But we can get so caught up in doing so much good that we forget to do that which is great. This one thing I do. But one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul just told us what he left behind. Paul just said, you know, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew, to as far as the law, was a Pharisee. He says, I have all these credentials. I left all that behind. I don't look back anymore on my past experiences. My goal is in the future. I strain forward, he says, I strain forward to what lies ahead. You know, it's interesting because Paul constantly used these analogies of athletes. He used uh, pictures of of warriors, of soldiers. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, so put on the full armor of God. He goes on to say many times, he says, you know, I'm running not, not as one who aimlessly, or I'm fighting, not as one who's aimlessly boxing in the air, but I do it to win the prize. Paul was constantly focusing on the prize. And these Greek games that Paul was focusing on, it was just pretty natural to everybody else around us. And he says, you know, you need to discipline your body. You need to discipline yourself. You need to focus on what's going on forward. He says, uh, and and in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul is basically saying, you know, you're going to be, you got to run this race. You got to walk through this world. You've got to go through this world. You might as well work at it with everything that you have toward the one prize that really matters. The one prize that is going to get you to heaven. The one prize. Because everything else, it's either going to fall off or it's going to burn off when you go to heaven. You can't take any of it with you. You can't. Second 2 Thessalonians 2.14, he says, To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You were called to this. You were called to this. And, and, and when life hits us, We need to be ready to keep on keeping on. You know, some of you have gone through some devastating things. And I can only share with you a personal experience, not of mine, but of my sister. She lost her husband back in July, right in front of of her, heart attack. And I've shared this story with you guys. And there was nothing she can do. It was just like out of the blues. God didn't have that kind of problem. And there he is. And she just didn't know how to go through this. How do I do this? And she cried and cried. And I says, that's what you're doing. What you need to do is you need to mourn. That's what you have to do. You have to mourn. Just don't let everybody's making fun of you. Don't worry about what everybody else is saying. You go through this mourning process. How do I get over this? You never get over it. You'll never get over this. You have to go through it. But I don't want to, you know, and, and you know, she wanted to end her own life. And, and, and it was just very devastating for her, very hard for her. And I kept counseling with her and talking with her. And, and here, just... A few couple of weeks ago here, almost a, a month after uh, a year that he's been gone, he, she finally came to me and says, you know what, I think I've finally gotten over it. I says, no, you, you haven't gotten over it. What you have come to is you come to grips with it. Yeah, yeah. And just like I told her, it's going to take you about a year, maybe six months to a year. Yeah. It might take year, but you'll eventually come to grips with yeah. life. And some of you have been through a traumatic experience. You've been through some things in your life that it's, you know, I don't know if I can ever get over it. You, you can't really get over it because that memory is there for life. Yeah. It's there for life. You have to go through it and then come to grips with it to realize this is where I am now. Yeah. And by the grace of God, he will pull you through and take you through it. And whatever it is that you're struggling with or have struggled with or you're going to struggle with, understand this, that you got to keep pressing on. And, you know, don't sugarcoat everything. Don't say, "Okay, well, it doesn't bother me. No, it does. It should bother you. You should mourn six months, a year, whatever it takes. But to get stuck in the past, Paul is saying, I put all that behind me. I put it all behind me. And it's back there. And I'm straining forward now to where I'm going. This is 30 years later that Paul met Jesus Christ. This is 30 years later, Paul has been preaching and teaching and establishing. This is some time now that Paul has been experienced. He's matured to the point where he understands. You know what? I know where I'm going. (coughs) Forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's what he says here. And this is what I've been called to. He tells the people in Thessalonica, you've been called to this. Number three, I must have the proper direction. Not only must I have a holy discontent, I must be devoted to one thing. I must have a proper direction. Once again, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The direction that I'm going to. And the direction is going to change and shift on you if you don't have a constant direction. You need a constant direction, something that doesn't change, something that keeps going forward. This is why the psalmist would say, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You see, the only thing that is constant in this world, the only thing that is is true and and has been tested is the word of God. This is why Jesus, when he met those two men, Ananias this is why he went to the scriptures he went straight to the word of god let me show you what moses said let me show you what the prophet says as a matter of fact when the two disciples ran all the way back to jerusalem in the dark they got there they started to proclaim what jesus said they said not only did he go through moses not only did he go through the prophets but he also went through the writings and he went through everything showing us how messiah has been prophesied about they knew about messiah messiah was coming He was coming, no doubt. The only thing that they neglected to to show was the suffering servant part. And this is why it was difficult. And why on earth, I don't know, only from a scheme from the devil. Why is it that for most Jews, they omit Isaiah 53? Even in today's culture, that portion, they, they have a reading that they read through once a year. They read from the they read from the Talmud, the Old Testament, and they also read from the writings of some, some other writings, and, and, and that portion of scripture is never brought up, for whatever reason, you know they just don't bring it up. When you bring that portion of scripture to a Jew with the understanding of who Jesus Christ is, and, and they okay, well this is what Jesus Christ did. I read this, it just turns on a light bulb for a lot of these guys. What? How come we never been taught that? I don't know, but it's there. Read it in your own Bible. It's there. And Isaiah 53, by the way, starts at Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 15. I've shared that with you already. Back then, they didn't have chapters and verses. They, they Unfortunately, they, they cut it wrong. But, but still, we, we refer to it as all of chapter 53. And when you look at this and you see this, and this is why the Word of God is so important. We dive into the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We meditate on the Word of God because that is the only constant thing in this world. Yeah. This one thing I do. This one thing I want to encourage you to do is get into the Word, study the Word. We have a Bible study on Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. We're going to start one on Sundays at 9, the same foundations, of fundamentals, the fundamentals of, of faith. We're going to start that on, on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock in the morning. You Come here, we'll get a book, and we'll go through it. Right now we have at least three or four people that are involved in it, and I only got a certain, certain amount of books. But if you want to be a part of that, let me know, and I'll order some more books. Now, we order them, and we ask you to give a love offering for the cost of the book, if you can. If you can't, don't worry about it. But the book is yours. And so when you come to it, we'll study it together, and we'll go through it. And it's basically, it's just doctrinal teachings, is what it is. What the church believes as far as, doc, about who God is, about the Word of God, who Jesus Christ is, the Holy Spirit. And we go through all these doctrines together to be like-minded, to be united in Christ, to be of one mind. And it is sound teaching and sound doctrine. One of, the, one of the good things about doctrine is, number one, doctrine, what it does, it defines who you are. It defines what you believe in. And I know that a lot of people have said, well, I don't need any doctrine. All I need is Jesus. Really? Which Jesus? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. Which Bible? You know, the Jehovah's Witness, where they say that Jesus is just a teacher? Or how about the, the Bible of the Muslims, you know, where they call him a prophet? Or how about the Bible of the Mormons, where they call Jesus the brother of Satan? They're they brothers. two brothers. Which Bible are you talking? Which Jesus? Which Bible? Yes. Well, well, the Bible, the Holy Bible, and you wouldn't know that without doctrine. Now, that's just a very simple example. That's it. But when you when you understand doctrine and you you hear it and you understand it and you, and you start and you will never get to the bottom of all doctrine, but we get a a working knowledge to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, so we can press on through the Word of God. When you get an understanding of who you are, it defines who you are, and unfortunately. It divides you from everybody else. Right. It divides you from the rest of the pack. Wow, well, you, can't, you can't believe that, doesn't say that. It says it right there. That's not what it means. Well, who am I to, to judge what God means? You know, I'm just telling you what the word says. Well, it's got to mean something else because that's not the way my pastor. Was. This is what the word says. I can't go any further than that. I can't, I can't allow anything else to come in because it's the word that is so important. This is what Jesus taught us with these two men at Emmaus. So I must have a proper direction. Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. And the psalmist says, teach me your ways, Lord, because all kinds of people are out here, pagans and philosophies that are out here. I need to know your ways. I can stay focused on you. Look at the back of your outline. Let your eyes look directly forward and your your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. All the time, turn your foot away from evil. What Solomon says here, just stay focused. Focused on what? The word of God. That's all they had was the word of God. Let your eyes look directly. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's the prize. Number four. Oh, excuse me. One last verse. Because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God." That is harsh saying. Yeah. You can't just say, "Okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm you know." But you know what? I, I got all this. I got to carry, and I got all that. And by the time you realize it, your trajectory has just changed. You're no longer focused on plowing. If you know anything about plowing, they had oxen. They had this harness. They had this plow that they would put on there and. It, cut these furrows, and you couldn't look back because just just a little bit of pulling of the reins, it would cause the oxen, just a little bit, it would cause it to go this way. And you know, it might might not look that bad at the beginning because it's going, but eventually down the road, the trajectory of that plow is going to cut you a furrow that you do not want. And so... The agricultural community of that that day understood what Jesus says. Yeah, but none of us. We have something right in front of us that we're focused on, and that's where we're going. And once we finish it, we move that focus over this way so we can follow that as well. Take the word of God seriously. It is your lifeline. Number four, I must have determination. And this is the center of this whole portion of scripture. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I just keep going. I got, he he got, um, he was put in prison twice. He was beat with rods a number of times. He was shipwrecked, left for dead. He was stoned, almost killed. And he kept going on. He got up, went back into the city to preach again. And he kept pressing on and pressing on and pressing on. And if you read the voices of the martyrs, or if you get online and look at the voices of the martyrs, a lot of these people... That gave their life for Christ. You you know, last week, I I think it was last week, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a quote that in China, that if you read and you preach the gospel, you would be imprisoned. But they preach the gospel anyways. In India, if you are caught preaching the gospel or sharing Jesus Christ, you will be beaten, probably even stoned to death or or beat to death. In Iraq, you will be beheaded. But they preach the gospel anyways. In the United States, I'm afraid to offend anybody, so I'm not going to preach the gospel. Yeah, you know, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to preach the gospel. Beloved, I tell you something. I don't know what's happened in the West, but we have lost the fervor and the fire that God has given us to proclaim the gospel. I must have determination. And press on in spite of all that goes on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Do do you not know in a race that all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Once again, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. And then 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight, Paul says. Again, metaphors of running, metaphors of fighting, metaphors of athleticism. You know, the idea is that I've I've got to get disciplined. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And we look toward his appearing. That's the goal. We looked for him to come back. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that people just say to get your hopes up high. We know this because the word of God is true. The last thing I want to share with you is this. Number five, I must practice spiritual discipline. Paul says, let those of us who are mature, who have grown up in the faith, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have picked up some doctrine, some teaching, some understanding of the Word of God. You may have been taught something uh, that might coincide with what you believe. And there are a lot of things out there that have this idea, this connotation, that, that as long as you are sincere, you are okay. Paul is saying this. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. You've, some of you have already matured to a point where you understand, okay, this is the Word of God. And yes, that might sound good, but this is the Word of God. And one of the things that you can bet on, well, I don't want you to bet, but one of the things that I want you to be so certain about, and I I don't share this often enough, but what we believe in God's Word, we believe that it is a closed canon. In other words, a standard. Canon is not one of those things you build things up with, but a canon is a standard. God's Word is the standard, and it is closed. God revealed to us everything that we need to know right here. He does not have extra revelation. There are not other revelations that come out. As a matter of fact, those that started preaching and teaching that came up with the Book of Mormons. Those that started preaching and teaching that came up with the, the, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Those that start preaching and teaching that come out with other things and other, uh, so, you know, and, and in spite of how good it may sound, you know, if it, if it is aligned with the Word of God, what somebody else is saying, then, then I don't need it. But if it doesn't go according to the Word of God, then I don't want it. Anybody can come up with the revelation or idea or a thought. Anybody can come up with anything and make it sound so spiritual that it is, this is from God. Well, if it really is from God, well, maybe what we should do is write it down and, and put it in some sort of form of writing and maybe add it to the back of the Bible. Oh, wait a minute. The back of the Bible says don't add or don't take away. Maybe we should, you know, really just, and everybody has a whole different idea and thought. The only thing that is constant is God's word. That's why I must practice spiritual discipline. Practice spiritual discipline. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You attain it by discipline. Going back to the analogy of racing, you attain the prize by working out by stretching out, by being consistent, and by knowing the rules. You know, in the Olympics, they were very strict, just like they're strict in today's culture. They're very strict. If you win the prize by cheating or by something else, they disqualify you right away. Many of you know uh, Lance Armstrong. Some of you guys know of uh, Tony McGuire, uh, uh, Big Mac McGuire, a baseball, you know, a lot of these men and yeah. and women that have used steroids, and they, yeah. they come to find out they stripped them of their gold medals because they went against the rules. Yeah. Jim Thorpe, one of the greatest athletes of all time, a triathlon decathlon, you know, and that he won all the prizes. Come to find out that he was a uh, he was a playing baseball, therefore it didn't make him an amateur. He was semi-pro, yeah. and so they took away his medals. They finally gave them back to him in '85, but this is way back in the early '20s, I think. Yeah. But but again. You, when you, when you went in the Greek, medals and games, they were just on it. You didn't swerve one way or the other. You disciplined yourself, and you did everything according to the rules. And Paul says here, once you've matured in that way, and if you think something else is going to happen, if you think, well, you know what, this might happen, or what about this? Well, then God's going to show you through His Word that that is correct or incorrect. And this is why when we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You let God's word dwell in you richly. Do you know that in that story I shared with you at the very beginning, the two men to Emmaus, that God didn't show up, Jesus Christ didn't appear to them, until the word of God dwelt in them richly. Their hearts were burning. Yeah. Weren't our hearts burning with the word of God? Yes, they were. And you know, when they ran all the way back to Jerusalem and they showed up there and they said, we've seen Christ, the one that the women have said that, they, that he's resurrected, we've seen, we talked to him, we, had, we shared this meal with him. Yeah. And right there and then, as they were testifying and they were evangelizing, sharing the good news, Jesus Christ shows up. He steps in. You see, Jesus was there all the time. He was there and ready to appear to a downcast group of disciples that just lost their best friend. But it wasn't until the word was proclaimed that Jesus Christ showed up. You want Jesus Christ to show up in your life? Proclaim his word. You want him to show up in your life? Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Everybody's looking for Jesus. Everybody wants to have an experience with Jesus. Everybody wants to see Jesus. Everybody wants to touch Jesus. Some people say they've seen him. They hang out with him and whatnot. You want to see him right here. See, because in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of the father. You want to see Jesus? There he is. You want a word from God? There it is. Nowhere else. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. And we know, Lord, that there's nothing else that we need in this world. I know that we have uh, various things that happen to us in our life. And sometimes we wonder where you are. Sometimes we wonder, why has it happened? And Lord, all we have to know is that you are right there in the same place where you were when Jesus Christ was murdered. You were right there. And as Jesus showed us, we have to get into your word. We have to know your word. Let it dwell within us richly. And I pray that as of today, that it becomes a habit, a discipline, that we look to your word and that we practice it on a regular basis. That we have a determination to press on in spite of all the things that may be going on in our life. That we get direction from you, a proper direction, by forgetting what's behind us and going forward to what is ahead. By being devoted to just one thing. One thing that I do. And that is to pursue you. And Lord, throughout this whole process, as we even feel it now, we have this holy discontent with not knowing you enough. With not understanding the word enough. We have this holy discontent. And I pray that you let it grow so that we can continue on to draw closer and closer to you. Thank you once again for this word, for the time that you give us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen Amen and amen. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up and have a word of prayer.